right. Uh, so good news. I am not going to be preaching on Mother's Day. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. But I am up here because I get the privilege and honor of introducing our preacher this morning, uh, my good friend, Marlena Graves. She is a guest to our church, hailing from Ohio. Um, her and her daughter, Eliana, are here. And I'm introducing her because I knew Marlena over a decade ago at Cedarville. Uh, Marlena and her husband, Sean, uh, were professors at the school, and Marlena was a resident director at the school. Um, and they were really culture makers and, and tone setters there. Uh, they just were so welcoming and hospitable to students. Um, and her husband, Sean, was a very challenging professor uh, and, and someone who I think I really grew under and appreciated his leadership in my life and his teaching. Um, Sean and Marlena also came and visited Laura and I early when we first moved to Detroit, and we had a really sweet time with them back then, and it's been cool watching their careers grow. Uh, Marlena is an incredibly accomplished individual. Um, she is, we were talking about it earlier, a practical theologian, somebody who is very well versed in biblical studies and theology, but really wants to talk about how that works out in your day-to-day -day life. Um, she is, uh, has a master's degree, is working towards her PhD, and is a professor now and is actually moving to become a full-time professor in the state of New York later this year. Um, and her husband is the chair of a philosophy department. So they are smart cookies uh, and know what they're talking about. But they're also just down-to-earth people who have big tables uh, that welcome everyone into their home. So just really grateful for Marlena and to have her here uh, and to be able to introduce her to you guys. She's written several books as well. Um, the Beautiful Disaster is one. Uh, the Way Up is Down is another. She's also contributed to a number of books, including Voices of Lament, which I believe a few of you ladies are reading. Uh, she has a chapter in that book, so I recommend you check that out. But I'm really honored to welcome her up here and just ask that you give a round of applause as we welcome Marlene up front. Well, um, I want to make sure my stuff doesn't fall off the pulpit here. I have to say that I'm just honored to be here. I've heard of this church for a really long time. And um, because I love the Demers, and I know they've talked to us a lot about this church, when Pastor Leon and uh, Jonathan invited me to come speak, I had, I had told people I'm not speaking anymore for like, until I finish my dissertation. But I'm like, of course I'm going to come speak here <laughs> for you guys. I need to be at this church. So I have a lot to learn from you. Um, and so thank you. I'm very honored to be here. I, I just honor you because you're living the life of Christ in your community, which is a lot more than I can say for a lot of people. So thank you. Well, today we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 6. And I can't, I'm assuming it's up there. Okay. I'm, um, this is, when people ask what is my favorite Bible verse, it's really hard to say. Uh, it's really hard to say. So I often go back to Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew chapter 6 has been a really 
important part of my life. And I keep going back there even right now. So I will read from Matthew chapter 6. Because I've gotten older, my eyes aren't as good. So I had to print it off. But I do have my Bible here. <laughs> A small Bible print. I can't read anymore. But uh, So I'm going to start with uh, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is one of my favorite verses of scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, 22 actually. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your spiritual eyes, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This Matthew 6.24, I think is a message to the American church. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then I will continue to read the rest here in a moment. So what really fascinates me, one thing that fascinates me about Jesus, am I allowed to move around? <laughs> one thing that really fascinates about G me about Jesus is that he was born poor. Like, if I were the, like, what God in their right mind does that, right? Our God. Why would he choose to be born poor? He could have been born in a palace in Rome or Antioch. Um, he could have been in Caesar's household or Caesar himself. But he chose to come as a poor Middle Eastern little boy to poor parents. I don't know why. I mean, Luke tells us that his parents were so poor when they went to the temple, they had to offer uh, the, the gift, the offering of the poor, which were two doves for the sacrifice. So you know they were poor. Um, I know, and the reason why this fascinates me is because I grew up very poor. You know, the kind of poor where you don't have food unless you have lunch at school. Just bread and mayonnaise, right? Maybe milk, sometimes in between paychecks. I know what it's like to be cold in the winter when there's no fuel oil in your house. and You don't want the stove to burn down the house, right? Um, and the fireplace works a little bit, but the smoke comes out into the living room because whatever's wrong with it, we don't have money to fix it, and I'm embarrassed to go to school smelling like smoke. So I thought, Jesus, you understand those things. I don't know why the God of the universe, who had all the glory and riches in heaven, everything we can imagine and never imagine, came as a poor man. Another thing that I think about when I think about Jesus is if I were Jesus... You know, he was fully God and fully man, but I'm talking about his humanity right here. If I were Jesus, I would be depressed every day of my life. 
Why? If I know, I don't know when he knew that he was going to go die on the cross. But from the time he knew he was going to go die on the cross, whenever that was, I'd be stressed out. Down. I can't go on the next day. I know I'm going to be murdered on a, and put on a cross. Not only am I murdered, my own people say I'm the devil. They call I me. Mean, even my own people don't accept me. They say I'm the devil, Beelzebub. And the religious leaders, which I am one myself now, <laughs> the because I teach at a seminary, <laughs> um, the people that knew the theology and all the books about God, a lot of them didn't like Jesus. Right? So how is it the his own people didn't even accept them? So if I were him, which I'm not, I would think, like, Jesus, how were you not depressed every single day of your life? How were you not stressed out? And you even said in Scripture, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. So he probably couch surfed on people's houses. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go stay with Peter and his wife today. You remember that time where he healed Peter's mother? They went to Peter's house. Or wherever he stayed, he was, you know, he stayed with other people is what he did. Maybe out, maybe out, in, maybe he camped outside like he does in The Chosen. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, that new movie series. But I, poverty is um, something that Jesus knew very well. And I felt like Jesus and I were comrades, camaraderie, because he understood my life. And you don't have to just be poor, right? I mean, being poor is a big nuisance, and it's hard. But you can also be poor of spirit, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And I just want to say this about Mother's Day. Not only did Jesus grow up poor, he was so others-referenced. He was so thinking of others that even when he died on the cross, he's like, I can't die until I take care of my mama. Right? He's like, I can't. You know, so one of the last things he said, besides the good, the thieves on the cross, he said, here's your mother to John, you know, behold your mother. Take care of your mama, my mama, she's now yours. Before he died, right? He couldn't do, he couldn't die without taking care of his mother. So moms, thank you. And all of you who mother. So another thing that I think about Jesus too a lot is that when he tells us to do something, he's not going to ask us to do anything he himself did not do. Let me give you an example. And I'm going to read a little bit more from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 20, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon, the rich king, in all his splendor was dressed as 
like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, basically gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. He's talking to me. <laughs> so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or where shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So when Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, he's saying that because he himself did. You think when he's walking down the road with the disciples, the dirt roads, or, you know, going to sleep at night, maybe hear the birds chirping, or going, you know, going to go preach and heal different places. I know he considered the birds of the air, you know, and the flowers of the field. And you might be saying, well, we don't live in no field, right? Well, is there a flower growing in a sidewalk, wherever? You see it here at the church or wherever. Consider the birds and the flowers. I think Jesus told us that because he does, it did it himself, right? And so... When you're and I are worrying, and I, this is the sermon I preach to myself many times, maybe not this version, but I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to go look at the birds, the ones that are hiding in the bushes of the McDonald's drive-thru. I see them, you know, or them chirping away or whatever, or going to get a little piece of bread that someone dropped at a restaurant. Um and the flowers. And God says, if I take care of these, Marlena, will I not take care of you? And I say yes, but then I stress. <laughs> right? I say yes, then I stress. I say yes, then I stress. And then I have to go back and look at the birds and the flowers. So from Jesus' experiences of walking around, dirt roads, whatever, wherever he went, whether into the city of Jerusalem or the countryside, these experiences are where his word comes from. This word in Matthew chapter 6. I go to a metro park sometimes when I'm down. I don't know what kind of parks are around here, if there's any close by, just any areas of green just to get away, get outside of my house or, you know, get out of the school. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, they always had the retreat when it was freezing cold in Rochester. I'm like, it is 25 degrees. And I remember one time there was like the wind whipping, snowing really hard, freezing. So I bundled up and I went and stood by a lake, right? Because I'm like, I need to be outside so I can remember the world, wake me up, right? So I can consider, consider. I've been doing a lot of considering lately. And you would think that after all these years, let's say I'm 45, I've been a Christian for 35 years, I would have learned my lesson, but I'm a piece of work, so God is continually working on me. So I told you about growing up in poverty. I'm going to tell you a few things, another few things about me. My parents were good parents. They loved me. Um, now that I'm older, I could see some reasons why we 
might have lived in poverty, there was some mental illness um, that contributed to that. But when I was young, I don't know why, probably because I saw my abuelita, my grandmother, a devout Roman Catholic, reading her Bible every day, and she just had a third grade education. She had to leave school when her mother died in childbirth to go with the rest of the kids and the father to be able to provide for the family. And so every day she would, you know, I would either go stay with her. You know, you know how families are, like Spanish families, maybe like your family, they live by each other <laughs> as much as they can. Um, I would see her reading her Bible, and I thought to myself, I thought so highly of Abuelita, I'm like, well, I should read my Bible too. So from the ages of 10 to 14, after I was done doing whatever, cutting wood to be warm or get gas money for my dad and doing my schoolwork, I'd read the Bible for two to four hours a day. Because I didn't want to watch the telenovelas that my mom or grandma watched during the day, daytime television. I'm like, no, nope. it's fine if you watch daytime television. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I think I do that, and sometimes I just get out in nature. But when I read the Bible, it never occurred to me that God couldn't do for me what he did for those in Scripture. I'm like, you took people through the Red Sea, you're going to take me through Red Sea, my Red Sea, metaphorical Red Sea. You healed people, you can heal me. And I know sometimes God doesn't heal. My mom died of cancer. My husband's dad died very young of cancer. Um, God doesn't always heal in the way we think. But I believed that God is who he says he is and could do what he do. Now, when I grew up in some churches, they tried to tell me that doesn't happen anymore. And I'm like, where have you been? Right? So I'm going to tell you two stories. Um, three stories. I'll make them quick. One was when I was 16 years old, my daughter's age now, I went on a missions trip to India. Now, I would not send my daughter to India now. I don't know why my parents let me go. But, uh, or I would be a little bit more nervous of sending her to India, not to say that they weren't. And remember I told you I grew up poor, and the trip cost $3,000. You know, plane ticket, being gone for three months, whatever, travel, food. And it wasn't like we were living in the Hilton there. We were in the most humble means in travel. And I said, Lord, I believe you want me to go on this mission trip, but how am I going to get the money? That's, that's $3,000 for my family, maybe yours. It was astronomical. Like it could have been, as, I mean, basically it was a million dollars. How am I going to get that money? And so back in the day, before the phone, uh, phones we have now, the Lord, I felt the Lord tell me, just look up churches in the phone book, give them calls, and ask them if you could speak. Fifteen years old doing that. What's wrong with me, right? Fifteen. Then I was 16 when I went. So I remember I was so excited to go on this missions trip and just tell people about the Lord through movies. We ended up making a movie, not of us, with Indian people as actors, like a Jesus-type movie. And we were like the camera people. Anyways, um, I remember I was so excited. I remember when this pastor, a missionary, came to my church. I said, hey, I believe the Lord's called me to go to India. Um, and, you know, 
would you pray with me? I, it's $3,000, you know, yada, yada, whatever I said to him. And he's like, I think that's a little bit too much money. Like, my dreams to go to India were too big. This was a pastor missionary taught me this. And I remember I was so sad. I went into my room and I was crying and crying like, God, the pastor said that. Is that the final word? Because it's a pastor missionary, so it must be. But then I'm like, nope. I believe you called me to do this, so I'm going to do what you said, what I believe you said. And I'm going to call these churches. Lo and behold, 12 churches asked me to speak in the or allowed me to come speak in the area, and I got $5,000, right? Gave the rest for whatever. That's one time. When I was in India, I got amoebic dysentery. It's really bad. I thought I was going to have to go home. It's like, yeah, bad stomach. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, and one night, we were... There's 32 of us on this team with chaperones, of course, and we stayed at a local school. Part of the school was enclosed like this, but then there was a courtyard with a wall around it but no roof. So in the back, so the overflow, which I was part of, or I volunteered to be part of, I don't know what, but I slept in the courtyard in a sleeping bag on the hard stone. Okay? But then it started to thunder and lightning and pour down rain in the courtyard. Okay, and so like those of us that were out in the courtyard, I don't, mind, I don't know how many of us were out there, I can't remember, but we all tried to squeeze in like the hallway or wherever we can get into that little school and there was no more room for me. So I laid down at the threshold, is that right, the doorway, you know, where you walk in the doorway. My legs were outside and this, my upper body was inside, so I wasn't getting pouring rain on my head, but my sleeping bag and my lower half of my body drenched. I was miserable. I was sick. I was being rain, uh, rained on, and I said to the Lord, remember I told you, I'm like, Lord, if you can do this for others, you can do it for me. So I'm miserable. I don't feel good. I'm like, they're going to send me home because I'm too sick, and I really wanted to come here, and it took so much money to get here, and this is what I'm thinking at night, and so I laid down. And I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to get fed. But I laid down praying to God. I started going through scripture. I'm like, you provided for this person. I was talking back to God. You healed them. You healed them. You know, you helped them. I was like, you, um, Hezekiah, you gave him 15 more years. I always pray that for people. You, I went through the whole scriptures reminding God of the people he helped. And the next morning I woke up healed from that dysentery. Now, that doesn't happen. It's not like that happens to me all the time, right? I'm not saying that's every day, but I'm just saying I know God is real. Okay, here's the third one. This is like a little prayer. Here's a little thing that I just mentioned to the Lord. It wasn't even really a prayer. So I was going to speak. This is like, oh, maybe two months ago. End of February in Pittsburgh, they invited me to speak at the Christian Coalition Outreach, whatever, to college students. And... Lecrae, a Christian rapper, is going to be there. And I just said to the Lord, Lord, it would be really nice if I could meet Lecrae. <laughs> That's all I said, because I just love his music. He's a theologian. I just love him to death. But I didn't, I'm like, I don't want to talk to him when there's lots of people around. You know, he'd be, he's a busy man. So I went, and I wasn't going to go to the concert because I'm older now. I mean, I could watch it, but 
I get tired of the strobe lights. Um, so, la di da, it's like the second day, no Lecrae. Um, and I was sitting in Starbucks, and guess who came in? I was talking to a book publisher from Grand Rap or Baker Books, and I said, That's Lecrae. Look, that guy's so dressed so nice, so stylish. I just saw the back of him. I'm like, That's Lecrae. I'm like, Lord, are you kidding? At like 11.05, was it a Friday or Saturday, when most of the Starbucks was empty and all the people were going to different, you know, little talks. And I'm just sitting there talking. Starbucks is practically empty except from some Asian-American people behind me and us, and walks in walks Lecrae. I was like, Lord, are you kidding me? Like you, I was like, I didn't even pray long about it. But what is the chance that we would be in the same place at the same time? There's not a really good chance. And I took a picture of it. I didn't tell him I prayed. For, I didn't tell him I prayed about that. But I just said, hey, we have a mutual friend. I really, you know, you were the first person. I played you in Rochester in 2007. And you don't remember, but you were sick or something. So we could interview you on the radio, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I feel very awkward because I usually don't. <laughs> I even told him I felt awkward. He was like, no, no, you know, we're good. So I just wanted to tell him how much I appreciated him. And I wanted to tell you, I mean, that's such a little thing, but the chance that he would walk into Starbucks at that time when we were sitting there. And I remember in the prayer, I said, God, well, there's not a lot of people around. So I was able to speak for, with him for like two minutes instead of two seconds. And I was, remember feeling before that, I, I didn't even pray long. All I said to God really was like, I would really like to meet Lecrae. That's it. I was waiting to see what God would do. And if he didn't, if I didn't meet Lecrae, I wasn't going to be mad. Um, and, you know, I was very specific about not having a lot of people so we could talk for a second, you know. But before, I was like, God, the weeks before, I was like, God, you know I love you, but there's so much evil in the world. And this is uh, stuff that you, you and I all endure every day. The politics, I'm just seeing a lot of bad things. And I know you exist, and I know you care about me. Can you just remind me? And he did it by answering that prayer with, about Lecrae. Lecrae doesn't know this. <laughs> but I was like, God, can you remind me that you care about me personally? Me. I know you care about the world, but can you remind me? I love you. You know I love you. I talk about you every day. But could you remind me? Because we live in a secular society where people don't really talk about God that much. But little things like that. So I should not be up here speaking to you because I was an at-risk child, right? Didn't have food, didn't have the stuff, whatever. But because of God and the church, my pastors, I'm here. So I just want to remind you, God provides often through people. So remember, it was the women. Is this Luke chapter 8 to Jonathan? I don't know. <laughs> it was the women who provided for Jesus materially. Did you see that? Do you, have you read that in scripture? How could they walk around in ministry, a certain person from Herod's household, certain like all these women's, and they provided for Jesus. Jesus depended on other people. Jesus depended on his mother to breastfeed him when he was a baby, and if it didn't work, he would have died. Why did Jesus depend on people? I don't know. That's how God is. He works with us. 
to accomplish his will. He loves us. Good, good father, as Rebecca sang and the brother sang. Good, good father. And so what I want to just remind you and myself of today is the reason Jesus told us not to worry is because he was telling him that, him that he was perfect, right? But he had to tell himself, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about where you're going to lay your head or whatever. Just today has enough trouble of its own. Just worry about today. And I keep telling myself that. Have an, or if we go back to the Old Testament, you can just pick manna for today. If you try to pick stuff for next week, it's going to rot. So I just need my bread, my food, my whatever, yes, sustenance for today. Right? But Jesus thought that way. So I'm, what I'm trying to repeat to you, when he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because he told himself that. Remember the devil tempted him in Matthew chapter 4. He put him on a hill. He's like, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the riches of the world. So Jesus had those temptations to accomplish God's will in his own way. So Jesus was tempted, and he had to turn back to the Father and say, nope, this is the way that the Father has told me to go. I could turn those stones into bread and feed myself, but God doesn't want me to rely on myself for my own provision. He wants me to rely on him. Jesus to rely on the Father. Am I telling you don't go to work every day? No. Right? Jesus was a carpenter, but he doesn't want us to try and provide for ourselves in godless ways. Right? Cheat on taxes, find other ways to provide yourself is not good. Um, so we're talking about poverty for a second here and relying on God. And I want to tell you that the early church, they did not mess around. Early church in North Africa, you know, the Middle East. Just as an aside, when people tell me uh, Christianity is the white man's religion, I'm like, no. It was North African's religion first, and then it came this way, right? <laughs> Palestine, it came from Middle East and Africa, and then it moved towards Europe. That was just an aside, but anyways. <laughs> The early church, they, they did not mess around. So I'm going to read to you. I've been talking about poverty. I've been talking about God's provision. I've been talking about how God cares about us as individuals, like your specific life, your life, what you're going through. Early church, and I'm going to read here. Early church preacher and archbishop John Chrysostom said, this is what he said, not to share our own riches with the poor is robbery and depriving them of their livelihood. And that which we possess is not only our own, but also theirs. So everything we have, yes, provide for yourself, but also the poor. And you might be like, I'm one of the poor. Well, God calls the rest of us to help you out. You're going to help us out. It doesn't go just one way. He goes on to say, or rather to speak the truth, 
listen to this one. He just blew this out. He is not rich who is surrounded by many possessions, but he who does not need many possessions. And he is not poor who possesses nothing, but he who requires many things. Poor person is the one that requires many things. We ought to consider this to be the distinction between poverty and wealth. When, therefore, you see anyone longing for many things, esteem him of all men the poorest. Think of him as the poorest man. Even though he possesses all manner of wealth, again, when you see one who does not wish for many things, judge him to be of all the most affluent man, even if he possesses nothing. Those, indeed, who are satisfied with their own property, enjoying what they have, and not casting a covetous eye on the substance of others, even if they be of means, of all men, the most limited ought to be regarded as the most affluent. For he who does not desire other people's possession, but is willing to be satisfied with his own, is the wealthiest of all. So we're talking about God providing for us. God, you know, the, God didn't have to provide that Lecrae meeting. <laughs> but God's a good father, and just like good parents care for their children. You might be saying, Marlene, I did not have good parents. But you know what a good parent is, right? Or what a good parent should be. Right? Or maybe people here in the church have parented you. I know I've had lots of people in the church parent me. Um, so God will provide for you and me. But that doesn't mean he's going to give us a Mercedes Benz. Right? He's like, you don't need to covet Mercedes Benz. Or whatever the wealth, wealth, most wealthiest neighborhood in here is. I don't know. Is it Gros Seal or whatever? Um, because when we're satisfied with what we have, John Chrysostom says, we're the riches of all. And the other thing is, if wealth satisfies, why are so many rich people so miserable? Actors, actresses, they have money to make them beautiful, but they're depressed, many of them. I remember I saw a comment, uh, something on social media, someone said, oh, you know, I'm so ugly, I wish I was pretty, like such and such an actress, or whatever. And one of the commenters said one of the best things I've ever heard. He's like, you're not ugly, you're just poor. Because it takes money to look good, right? A lot of money to, like, you know, nail. Uh, I'm not saying you're not allowed to do your nails, but that was the point. It costs money to have plastic surgery. Okay. So when Jesus says he's going to provide, he's convinced that the Lord's going to provide. He's going to provide what you need, what you all need. Now, one of the things about provision is um, one of our friends, Jeff uh, Cook, Jonathan Demers, one of our good friends, he's, he reminds us, Marlena, God is never late, but he's rarely early. Because I'm like, Lord, I'm ready for because we're trying to move and I'm waiting for my house to sell. I'm like, this is 11, 12 p.m. This is like the 11th hour. I am on a time crunch because of my school, because I said you have to, if I don't move before July 1st, they won't pay for it because it ran out. That's a policy or whatever. I'm like, it is May 14th. In two hours, there's going to be people come see our house. I was like, Lord, you better pull this one out because I don't know how we're going to do it, right? I need the moving company to move us. I don't have money to pay for it on our own. So one thing I want to ask you when you're in church or when you're at home when you're reading scripture, is do you really believe what Jesus says? Or is it just a nice sermon that the pastors here preach? 
If Jesus said he will provide for us and not to worry about tomorrow, he's asking us to actually do that. It's just not a nice thing he said. When he says, consider the birds and the lilies, he was talking to a group of people, but he's like, look at the lily. Go consider a birdie in your yard or at the McDonald's drive-thru. Consider the flowers. Let it remind you that God will provide for you the way he provides for them. And this is a sermon to myself, remember. So money itself, we're talking about provision, how God will provide what we need. And sometimes he gives, a lot of times gives us the little splurges like the Lecrae's, right? But a lot of people with money, not all, we said it doesn't make them happy. It's the root of all evil, the love of it. And it will corrupt us. Now notice that right before God, or before Jesus said, um, the eye is the lamp of the body, he says you can either serve God or money. So what I'm telling you is if we seek after money, that's going to corrupt our spiritual eyesight. It's going to spiritually blind us if we seek after money. And I think, like I said, that's a major problem of the American church. Way back when. So originally, the enslavers were greedy, right? We want the Native Americans' land. We need people to, uh, you know, cultivate this land. and not going to be us. Right? They were greedy. Greed. And Paul says, greed is idolatry. So when we're asking God to provide for us, I should not be upset, I don't know, if I don't have a BMW and say, oh, Lord, you didn't provide for me. He's going to provide what we need and many of our wants. Now, someone, I could picture someone challenging me right now, Marlena, I don't have what I need right now. I need food. If you are here and you need food, come see me after the service. I'll make sure you eat today. Okay? And I mean it. Okay? Or what about those poor people in the slums of India or South Africa, which I've seen, the poorest people I've ever seen in my life, who had to drink water that was polluted by cow feces and chemicals because they had no other option to eat. No other option. (laughs) Someone says, well, why are they drinking that water? Where else are they going to go drink water? There's nowhere else to get water. There are faithful people in those places. God's going to provide what they need, too. And, whoa, God didn't provide what I needed. Sean's dad died. My mother died. I mean, people die. Some of your parents have died. Some of you might be sick. This is only a part of our life. If we go to be with Christ, we will see that it was all provided in the next life. I know my mom, I'm, I know my mom is alive right now. Yeah, she's alive right now. Mommy, gracias. Mom's alive right now. And she would tell me, you don't understand, I bet, but it's all right. I'm all right, right? She followed the Lord. So, I'm again, talking about God's provision, but the fact that wealth could corrupt us so that we don't see better, see as well, insight. So those of us that are rich, we're in trouble. 
Not because we're rich. We could be really nice rich people, but we have temptations that other people don't have, right? We're easily corrupted, easily, um, I don't know, fooled. We have to watch ourselves. We have to watch ourselves. That's probably another reason Jesus didn't come rich. He's like, I don't want to be in the trappings of money, right? Remember Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver and repented? He regretted it afterwards. But money will lead us to do things. The love of money, I'm sorry. The love of money will lead us to do things that we probably wouldn't have done to depend on ourselves. So for some of us, like John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, and give away all you can. That's John Wesley. Am I saying that you can't take a vacation or nothing? No. I'm like, I'm not saying don't take a vacation. God gives you things to enjoy. Every good gift comes from God. But don't let wealth, the love of wealth, corrupt you. And I can't let it corrupt me either. So I said it was greed that led to the slave trade, to genocide of Native Americans, to pastors and other people being paid off. So I knew this pastor who was reading through Amos and let's say 20 years ago. He was my mentor when I was in seminary. And he was just reading, like you guys do, verse by verse through the book of Amos. And after, one Sunday after he was done, uh, a man came up to him and said, you need to stop this social justice stuff. He's like, I'm reading verse by verse the book of Amos. I'm not saying anything that Amos hasn't said. He's like, well, if you don't, I'm going to take my tithe away. The man owned a car dealership. So if he took his tithe away, loss of church staff, loss of programs. And I said, what'd you do? These aren't his exact words, but basically take your money and shove it. You know that song, take your job and shove it? Take your money and shove it. So I don't know how much that guy tied, $100,000 a year, I don't know. But it, I was like, oh, you did not. He's like, yes, I did. I told him he could take his money away because this rich man now was trying to control what the pastor said. That's how money can corrupt us. We think we can control people. So Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom, not status, not wealth. And all these things, Matthew 6, will be added unto you. We will have what we need in this life and in the next. Again, but you say, I'm following Jesus and I'm filthy poor. I try so hard and I can barely make it. I wish all of these nice things will be added unto me right now. I hear you. I hear you. I know what it's like not to have food, to be cold, and not to be able to afford books for college, but God, but for God. If you are here listening to me, like I said, if you're hungry, if you need housing, talk to the church. They will work alongside of you and try to help you. I know they will, because I know how it is. This church is wonderful. It might take longer than we think, but God will provide for you. You know, sometimes he provided for us through the food pantry. 
You know, we should have probably had welfare, but my dad was too proud to take it. You know, I said, well, we're hungry. So he'll provide for what you need. It may not be in your time, but he will. I want to leave you with one last thing about God's provision. A couple of last things here. I am not well if you're not well. Right? You're part of the body of Christ. You're my brothers and my sisters. You are part of the human race. So I've I am storing things up and not sharing with you like John Chrysostom and Jesus tells us to do, then I'm complicit in what's happening to you in some way. I can only, the better you are, the better I'll be. And I mean that. The better that Mac Avenue Community Church, is that right, got it? better that this church and neighborhoods, the better I'll be. I'll tell you what. When I get really upset about evil in the world and just all the crap, I remind myself, oh, there's good people. There's good people at Mack Avenue. I don't have to worry about that part of Detroit. And how can I worry, right? I'm not God. As long as you keep doing what you're doing where you are and I keep doing what I'm doing where I am, we can have some hope. What Martin Luther King Jr. said, all I'm saying is simply this, that all mankind is tied together. All life is interrelated, and we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of identity. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what I ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. So as Matthew 6.32 says, if you're here and you're like, God, I'm in need, cry out to God. And if you can't cry out because you're like, Lord, I've been crying out for many years, I've, I've, I've not heard anything. I remember in 2002, I, was, I, I believe that the Lord called me to be a writer. Again, I had people like, that's a nice idea, Marlena. They, they're like, don't believe me. I'm like, that's fine. I feel like I clearly heard from God. So I, I said, Lord, when is this going to happen? It's taking a long time. You know I've been writing for a year. Why aren't I not published yet? And the Lord's like, quit watching the grass grow or be like a student who's watching the ticking clock in school for it to end. Just get to work. It'll happen. Took 10 years. And I needed to learn to write really well. But if I knew in 2000, January 2003, that my book wouldn't come out till 2014, that I wouldn't have my first article published until 2008, five years later, I might have been discouraged. So it took a while. But God kept his word. And some people have said to me, Marlena, man, all these good things happened to you. How is, I was like, first of all, you have not seen my life, what the hell I went through. And second, it's prayer. It's the body of Christ. Everything I do is bathed in prayer. I need God to open doors. I'm like, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. Please open a door for me. So God depends on you and me, and we depend on God, right? God depended on his disciples, but we also depend on God. So I just want to encourage you, and really this is a sermon to myself. 
and remind you of this verse, too, about the good, good father that you all sang about. It's perfect. Which of you, Matthew 7, 9 through 11, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, other versions say the Holy Spirit, but good gifts to those who ask him? I, I say this right back to the Lord. I said, with my house, I said, I know you're going to give me a bread and not a stone, a fish and not a snake, but I don't see it yet. Right? God does not give us snakes. God is not the parent that doesn't show up. God always comes. Always. Always. Again, maybe not in our time frame, but what he tells us is don't worry how I'm going to do it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Seek first the kingdom. I'll give you everything you need. Often through my other people, but sometimes in miraculous ways like healing. Who knows the ways of the Lord? The Lord's mysterious. If we knew everything, who he was, we, he wouldn't be God, right? I don't know why he does this in one circumstance and that in the other. I don't know why he lets one person, allows one person to die. I know the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I know he's good. And he will provide everything you need for today. And if you're hungry, I'm telling you, come see me. You're not going to go without food today. If you need you know, a house or stuff, talk to the pastors and the people here. They'll help you as best they can because we cannot be well if each one of us is not well, right? Thank you so much. We're going to pray for our sister. Lord, we are so thankful that you blessed us with her. She shared with us, Lord, some of the things that's weighing her down. She trusts you. She believes in you. She knows you've come through for her again and again. But, Father, she's taking a step of faith by taking this job at a seminary in Rochester. And they've said they'll pay. But it's got to be a move by July 1st. And, God, the timing doesn't look good. But that's from our perspective. That's from us looking at it. God, you show up and show out again and again. And so, Lord, I'm praying. That one, you would give her and her husband and her family peace. And then, Lord, that you would work the situation out in their, in, on their behalf. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. Amen.